Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello everyone, my name is Helen, I'm an investment writer at Julius Baer in Zurich and I have the pleasure of talking today to Christian Gattica, our Head of Research, and Mark Matthews, our Head of Research in Asia. Hello Helen. Hi Helen. So in the next few minutes we will focus on our mid-year market outlook for 2022, looking at the current market environment, talking about key topics such as central banks policy normalization and of course inflation, as well as our research views across asset classes. And last but not least, looking at longer term themes, we will also talk about three very interesting next generation topics, clean energy, future mobility and the circular economy. So let's get started. There are so many uncertainties at the moment, but one thing is for sure, and that's that this year hasn't been an easy ride for investors so far. With record high inflation rates, central banks have started tightening monetary policy. What does this mean for the global economy, Christian? Yes, that's right, Helen. Central banks have started to normalize monetary policy, and this is actually the sharpest and fastest phase of monetary policy tightening on record. So this is a headwind for growth. And the price of tightening policy in terms of the impact it will have on the economy and financial markets is unknown at this stage. And on top of this, there's the situation in China, where the zero-COVID policy is going to impact not just the local economy there, but also global demand. I'm sure Mark can tell us more about China. Absolutely. Thank you, Christian. In China, officials have a really rigorous zero COVID policy, and it's just not helping to turn sentiment around. And as you alluded to, Christian, this is likely to have a much more far-reaching impact than just in China itself. Uh, We think a slowdown in Chinese growth, in fact, is the biggest risk to to global demand. And just also to pick up on the point about monetary policy tightening, We've seen a cost to this already in terms of financial wealth. For the first time in years, global equity and bond markets sold off in unison in the first quarter of this year. Some are saying the U.S. Treasury market had its worst quarter since 1788, and the S&P 500 had its worst four months of a year since 1939. So with a hit just shy of 10% for bondholders, 15% for equity holders, the cost of this exercise will easily go into double-digit trillions of U.S. dollars or more than 12% of economic output on a global scale. Yes, and then, of course, there's the war in Ukraine too, and the commodity price spikes due to the related economic sanctions, which is all weighing on the global economic outlook. So based on the pain points that you've both just talked about, do you think we're heading for a recession, Christian? Well, we see many conflicting effects at work at the moment, but overall, no, we do not believe we are heading for a recession, and there are a number of reasons for this. Firstly, inflation has not destroyed demand so far, with plenty of evidence that consumers are still spending even though prices have been rising. 
Secondly, job creation still appears to be solid. And thirdly, companies are continuing to invest across the board. We think we'd have to see a major reversal in these drivers for the economy to suffer in the next few months. And so we really believe that the near-term risk of a recession is currently low. Okay, so it's a tough balancing act for central banks at the moment then. But overall, you don't think that they will do too much and push economies into a recession. In fact, the Federal Reserve is actually front-loading the rate normalization, which means fast and strong tightening into the summer. But after that, the pace will probably slow down. Yes, that's right. Looking at the current situation then, we've got a rapidly shrinking liquidity environment on the one hand and record-breaking inflation on the other. What do you think this means for investors in terms of their portfolio construction? Well, there are two major changes investors need to consider when it comes to portfolio construction. The first thing is that the geopolitical turmoil and the now clear willingness of governments to use the financial system to punish non-compliant countries means that the geographical scope of portfolios needs to be carefully defined. This means investors should be willing to accept the risk of capital confiscation if investments in a particular country are sanctioned. Secondly, inflation is becoming a more persistent feature and so it just can't be ignored. Fighting against capital erosion is more important than ever. The key to surviving in an inflationary investment environment is to favor real assets over nominal assets in a portfolio. Let's talk about inflation then. First of all, actually, let's talk about how we got to where we are today. Where has this record high inflation come from, Mark? Well, Helen, inflation readings of late have been at record highs in many countries. And in the U.S., for example, inflation's at the highest level in 40 years. And we can trace this back to the beginning of COVID. The pandemic that shocked the world saw governments introduce lockdown measures, and that halted economic activity, as we all know. And then after several months, when the government started to ease off on those measures, what we saw was a rapid increase in demand for all kinds of products and services. And we at the same time, had central banks still with their record loose monetary policy and stimulus measures. And so all that further supported robust spending activity. And at the same time, the lockdowns created a global supply chain disruption that really remains unresolved to this day in many parts of the economy. And so it's this combination of higher demand and lower supply, Helen, that created this surge in prices and surging inflation rates. And, and of course, I just have to say, most recently, adding fuel to the fire, the tragic war in Ukraine that's compounding these inflationary pressures even more through the rise in commodity prices. And how do you see this going forward, Christian? So what's our outlook for inflation over the next few months? Well, we believe that inflation should ease in 2022. Despite the short-term pain for the economy largely as a result of the war-related commodity pricebacks, we expect the self-healing forces to kick in in the coming months. We forecast global inflation of 7.5% for 22, but we attribute most of this to the first half of the year and expect inflation to come down in the second half of the year as structural deflationary forces like technology advancements and productivity gains gradually have an impact. And one of the key drivers of the inflation that we've all been talking about has been energy prices. So let's talk about energy markets now. We've seen several spikes in oil and gas prices since the war in Ukraine broke out in February, reflecting the fear of supply disruptions. To what extent have the supply chains adjusted as countries have sought alternatives to Russian oil? 
Well, the West's replacement of Russian oil with alternative supplies is notable in terms of the volumes involved with a shift in flows that has rarely been seen before. We've seen several spikes in oil and gas prices, as you said, Alan, but we do think that we might be past the peak of the shock now. We think Europe is unlikely to run out of gas, and we also don't think the world is going to run out of oil. The high prices at the moment are incentivizing supply and curbing demand, and much of Russia's commodity flows actually remain less clogged than had initially been feared. And so what's your view on where oil prices will go from here? Given the prevailing geopolitical uncertainties, high volatility and commodity prices will likely persist in the near term. However, beyond the short-term uncertainties, we believe that factors including storage releases, supply boosts, demand destruction due to high prices and the deflation of the always temporary risk premium are likely to lead to lower oil prices in the longer term. On the back of surging inflation, global bond markets have corrected significantly this year. It was kind of a perfect storm for fixed income. The Bloomberg Global Aggregate Bond Index has lost more than 12% up to mid-May on a total return basis since its peak last year. With bond yields having risen significantly, what does this mean for fixed income markets now and for investors' portfolios? Fixed income markets offer attractive opportunities again now after the sharp increase in yields. While bond yields could still rise a bit more over summer, which would mean bond prices going lower, we believe that we are past the worst, with rate normalization now well advanced. Valuations are appearing to be attractive, with credit spreads now above the long-term averages. Importantly, our expectation of lower inflation readings in the second half of the year and into next year should be a net positive for bonds as it caps the upside on bond yields. So what do fixed income investors really need to think about in the current environment, Mark? We'd outline three key principles to stick with in this environment. And the first one is that short to medium duration bonds are still our preference because there's still going to be upward pressure on bond yields and a portfolio with shorter average duration is going to be less sensitive to rising interest rates than one with a longer duration. And then second, uh, flexibility is key to be able to adjust quickly to a higher but also a more volatile rate environment. Then the third thing, selectivity, always essential to be selective. Investors need to select their bonds carefully Uh, so that they don't lose capital. And needless to say, diversification is also something that's very important. Let's move on to equity markets now. I mean, I know we can never say that it's easy for investors, but there are certainly a lot of factors to consider at the moment, making it challenging. In this environment then, what should equity investors focus on? Yes, that's right. As you say, Helen, things are always complex, but at the moment there are just a lot of different moving parts to think about. So we see a great deal of uncertainty, but crucially, what we don't see is a systemic breakdown of the economy looming like we had in 2007-2008. So we think it's important for investors to stick to the medium to longer term investment plan. Of course, diversification is key, as always, and a broad-based mix of assets is the best way to protect your wealth. And we do suggest having more of a defensive tilt in portfolios for now. Okay, and more of a defensive tilt means what kind of sectors specifically? In the defensive space, we would highlight a few areas. In terms of sectors, we like healthcare. 
stocks in the healthcare sector tend to offer earning stability and have very strong balance sheets. In particular, we favor large cap pharmaceutical and biotechnology companies due to their earning stability and solid pipelines. Interestingly, healthcare has also shown to hold up well in times of higher inflation. So there are many positives when it comes to the healthcare sector. And as a long-term theme, we like digital health. Looking geographically, we expect Swiss equities will continue to outperform. The Swiss equity market is actually one of the best quality and most defensive equity markets in the world. High dividend stocks and companies expected to offer share buybacks are also attractive at the moment. And another important point is that with inflation as high as it is, companies that have strong pricing power and can pass higher costs onto consumers are best placed to do well. We think that the areas of food and drugs and personal and household goods should be able to pass on increases in their costs because the demand for these products tends to be fairly inelastic, meaning that consumers buy these goods even when the prices go up. So we've talked about going more defensive then. Does that mean that growth stocks are out of favour now? No, it doesn't. So just to be clear, we are suggesting a barbell strategy between value and growth, but with a tilt towards defensives within a diversified portfolio. And what sectors do you prefer then when it comes to value and growth stocks? In the value space, we like financials. Historically, periods when central banks are tightening policy to combat inflation have been a favorable environment for financials as the sector benefits from higher interest rates and a steepening yield curve. Some European financials, for example, come with very attractive dividends. And we also still believe there's a case for investing in technology stocks, mainly because of the market leading growth rates in the sector. We focus on profitable companies with strong cash flows, especially since their valuations have come down sharply since the start of the year. We would, however, stay away from early stage tech names, and we have a preference for semiconductors and software over hardware companies. And what about in emerging markets, Mark? Are there any areas in particular that we like there? Helen, like developed economies, emerging economies are battling this sky-high inflation and a deterioration in the economic growth outlook. So we do see pockets of opportunities, but a selective approach is definitely warranted. Um, We prefer Asia, excluding China, And one particular opportunity in terms of superior growth, but also geographic diversification, we think is India. So India's economy has become much more efficient than most people realize due to reforms and infrastructure investments over the last decade. It's a secular growth story, we think. Let's say a few words now about currencies. And let's start with the US dollar. Christian, what's the outlook for the dollar in your view? The US dollar is currently thought of as a safe haven, given all the uncertainties at the moment. And we are likely to continue to see strength in the dollar in the short term due to the Fed's recent and planned interest rate hikes, which result in a solid rate divergence between the dollar and other currencies. We do think, though, that this also means that the US dollar's strength will eventually end as the rate divergences decline or reverse at some stage and as risk sentiment improves. So we think the dollar will possibly weaken towards the end of the year or so. And what about the Chinese yuan, Mark? Well, the Chinese yuan has had uh, strong trade surpluses in its favor. Uh, But the problem is with the zero COVID policies, we see considerable uncertainties around growth. 
So uh, on balance, our three-month target for the Chinese yuan against the dollar is 6.7. And that's actually pretty much where it is today. Right. Thank you very much, both of you. So to wrap up a few of our key views then for listeners, we have talked a lot about inflation, which we believe will ease towards the end of this year, and about how central banks are tightening monetary policy to fight inflation. But overall, we don't think that they will be choking economies, given that inflation has not destroyed demand so far, job creation has continued, and companies are continuing to invest. So we believe that the risk of a recession in the near term is low and the main message is to stay invested and stick to the investment plan, albeit with a more defensive tilt in portfolios. We've talked through our key views on currencies, fixed income, equities and commodities. Let's finish off then with a question on much longer term investing. Which particular long term trends do you think are attractive at the moment, Christian? So in terms of our next generation long term themes, we would focus on clean energy future mobility and the circular economy theme. Clean energy, partly because governments are still highly active in the renewable energy markets and they're aiming to accelerate the transition towards clean energy. Future mobility, as for us, it's really a matter of when rather than if electric vehicles eventually replace traditional internal combustion engine vehicles. And the circular economy theme, as the world increasingly understands the need to reuse and recycle things and generally make the best use of all our available resources. Thank you both so much for the really interesting conversation and for sharing your thoughts on our mid-year market outlook with us today. Thank you, Helen. Yes, thank you, Helen. And with that, we conclude this edition of the Beyond Markets podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this conversation and that you will join us again soon. Bye for now. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.